Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoyed the message. Well, uh, John chapter 1. Dwayne just read it, but we're going to be there this morning. Uh, But before we do, uh, we, I think all of us, um, I'm kind of guessing just a human condition, we all uh, love origin stories. Um, We love them. Um, Marvel has made billions of dollars uh, on origin stories. And so a couple of my favorites, if you're just curious, uh, you didn't ask, uh, is I love the origin story of Batman. And uh, so you've got not necessarily Lego Batman, but Batman in general. Uh, but for those of you not, I mean, you've got this, this young kid, Bruce Wayne, who has this traumatic experience of losing his parents and grows up in isolation. And then uh, he becomes this vigilante at night, this Cape crusader. Uh, another favorite is you've got uh, Spider-Man. And you've got uh, Peter Parker, this teenage boy who gets bitten by a radioactive spider and then just stumbles upon all of these, uh, these gifts that he has. Um, in both of these movies, fun fact, um, not only do we love the origin story, uh, I believe Batman has at least three origin story movies, uh, maybe a fourth, uh, and Spider-Man does as well. Three unique origin stories. Well, really, when I say unique, they're not that unique, they're just redone. It's like we just want to hear it again and again with three different people playing Spider-Man, and I think 17 different people playing Batman at some point. So... My point is this, we all love an origin story, and one of the questions that we get often, especially for for people who are kind of maybe new uh, to kind of the church world or new to following Jesus, the question we get is, does Jesus have an origin story? Does Jesus have a backstory? Or does it all begin in a nativity scene uh, in Bethlehem? And so we're going to be diving in to the story here of of John uh, and his biography of Jesus. Um, And he's going to unpack this this epic prologue of Jesus' backstory. And I want to go ahead and just tell you up front, we're going to try to move really, really fast today. We're going to skim a lot. Dwayne just read this passage. There is so much here that we are not going to be able to, to cover. Theologically, it is incredibly deep. Philosophically, it's rich, and it is masterfully poetic. And so there's going to be a lot that I'm going to kind of try to we'll put a pin on that. We'll maybe come back to that later. But we're going to, we're going to probably, uh, I joke often, it's like an episode of Lost. We're probably going to pose more questions than we do give answers, okay? And what's really, really cool is John, if you were here with us through the Genesis series, John, in many ways, is kind of like the genesis of the New Testament. And he's going to use, he's going to use all of this like poetic language, a lot like if you see a musical on Broadway or maybe if you see a symphony. There's these opening lines, these melodies these, these, that are going to be introduced at the beginning, but then they're repeated and recycled over and over and over again. And John, in these first few verses, is going to introduce us to the language that he's going to mine out 
in the previous chapters, okay? So it's very much connected to Genesis. And if you miss that series, what we said at the very beginning to kind of summarize it is this, that from page one of the Bible, that we're introduced to a God who, who steps into the unlivable chaos of our world and begins to create space for humanity to flourish, to discover, to experience, and enjoy his beauty. So that's what we see at the very beginning. And John's going to kind of hit some of these same motifs. And so, uh, starting in verse 1, chapter 1, this is what it says. It says, in the beginning, pause, wait a second, we've heard those three words before. Uh, oh yeah, Genesis 1.1, very intentional, okay? John is speaking to a Hebrew audience who would have known the Torah, and so when he uses these three words, he's expecting a bunch of imagery from that page one of their Bibles to be able to kind of come to life. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And once again, this would have immediately pulled to mind Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, he's kind of setting the stage. And then what, what, what John's going to do here is he's going to kind of unpack in these next few verses really three motifs, three storylines that he's going to then recycle again. Okay, so he's going to point out three things, and he's going to show us again. So I just kind of made a quick graph, and so I'm telling you where we're going. Uh, so this is kind of the summation. In the first, like, like this first part, verses 3 through 5, what he's going to do is he's going to pull on Genesis. This is the Genesis language. He's going to talk about it. He's going to connect Jesus to the idea of creation. And then he's going to introduce this eyewitness named John, John the Baptist, who's going to step in. And then he's going to talk about people's response. Then he's going to repeat those same three movements, but he's going to hit it from the Exodus standpoint. And he's going to talk about Jesus being essentially the tabernacle. He's going to bring John back into the story, and then he's going to talk about the response again. So this is kind of our framework for our time today, and this is what it is. That we're going to see in these first few verses that Jesus is revealed And then what we're going to see is that God is creating space for us to discover his beauty. And then it's going to be followed by he sends people, using John the Baptist here, but he sends people. Now our responsibility to help others to discover that beauty. And then number three is that we all have a response to this God. That we all have a response to this God. So to kind of set the stage, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Well, at the very beginning in these first few verses, that we, we find out a couple of things. He's going to use the word. He's going he's to say, hey, in the beginning was the word. Now, um, even in our house this week, we had some kind of debate of like, what does that mean? What imagery does that pop into your mind? And once again, I didn't grow up in church. And so when I first started following after Jesus, I remember reading, somebody gave me a book of John and said, this is where you should start. 
And so when I said, hey, the beginning, the word, uh, I just assumed that somehow, some way that meant like the Bible, because people always would call it, oh, this is the word of God. And so I guess the Bible put, became, I, I'm confused already. And, uh, and so this is, I don't have time to fully unpack it, so I'm just going to try to help you kind of give you an image that you can kind of get to wrestle with, okay? When you think about, okay, just a word, okay? And I want you to think about words in connection to Genesis chapter 1, okay? What pops into your mind? God speaks and things are created, so God's words are his agent of creation. I want you to think about even just your words today, the things that you say. Because he's going to go on to say that the word was with God, the word was God. And how does, how does that kind of work? I want you to think about your words. When you say your words, which just another fun fact is that you can't say words without breath. Uh, and so breathing things out. And in the Old Testament, the word breath is the same as the word spirit. And so you've got this whole hovering. We don't have time. Like I said, there's so much there. I get, and I'm going to get distracted. I'm trying to stay focused. Okay. So, but the word, I want you to think about this. Your words are connected to you. Your, your words are an embodiment of your thoughts, the way that you think, what you're processing, and how you communicate. And your words are connected to you, they're a part of you, but they're also separate from you. You're not your words, but you can't communicate, like those words are needed. So there's just all of this like really poetic and powerful language that John is using to be able to explain. We're going to find out later that when he talks about the word, it's talking about Jesus that the words essentially are the embodiment of God's thoughts and feelings and emotions and all that stuff. And Jesus is the word. And so, okay, I know, gosh, ugh, focus. Okay, so ultimately in this passage, we're going to see this, that Jesus is. He is the eternal God, okay? That Jesus doesn't just show up in a nativity scene uh, 2,000 years ago. That the scripture here says that he was always, that in the beginning, before time existed, Jesus was. Like he was a part of this trinity, this communion, God, who, who are separate but equal. And once again, that's that whole, like it gets, that's a different sermon. But the point is like God has always been, always will be. And John's highlighting and going, oh, this Jesus that you haven't met yet, he's always been around. He is the eternal God, okay? And then he's going to begin to unpack some really cool language. But I think in this part, like, he's going to talk about how he's essentially the giver of life. All things were created through him, apart from him. Nothing that was created has been created. So he's a creator in him was life. Like, he sustains life. He gives life. And then he kind of gets into this illustration about light, which once again becomes this allusion to Genesis chapter 1. And I'll read this. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning one day. God looks into the chaos, 
and he separates light and darkness, ultimately creating the realm of time. He's creating space. He's creating order so that we might have a chance to discover his beauty. And then in John uh, 1, 4, 5, in him was life. Talking about Jesus. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. This is the, 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 really that first point that I want you to see today is that God is creating space for us to discover his beauty. From page one in the scripture to John one to even this morning in a gym, this God has a rich history of creating space and inviting you and I to discover and experience and enjoy his beauty. Like this is who he is And it's who he's always been from page one of the scripture. And I want you to think, I love, there's so much here, the internal God, Jesus' life. That's why John, or in John, later on in 1010, he's going to say this, that he's quoting Jesus. And Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to give it to the fullest. And the idea behind Jesus' words is that you and I, that that we, we exist, yes, but we do not have life without Jesus. And then he's going to move into this imagery of light, um, which I think is cool. And I think, once again, we're kind of numb to that. We're like, okay, sweet, yeah, light. But what is light? So I got on this, like, really big rabbit trail this this week and about 15 YouTube videos later uh, about the science of light. And we don't have time to go into it. Um, but I just like really kind of asked the question, like, why light? Like, why is that light? And I brought a flashlight, and this is like really powerful, and I'm not going to shine it in y'all's direction because it might blind you. Um, but I was thinking about that. And it, it, you don't watch many of these videos scientifically uh, before you'll hear a couple of phrases that are repeated in almost every video. And in every video, at some point, the scientist is going to say something about how light is the source of life. Like without light, specifically from our sun, nothing on our planet can exist. It's a source of life. And then there's the question about what actually is light, which is a fun little debate because ultimately it's both, it's two things at the same time. It's a particle, uh, but it's also a wave uh, it's these two things simultaneously. It's one of the only things in our universe that functions at these two levels at the same time, both a particle and a wave. And most of us, when we talk about light, we're talking about only the parts that are visible to us. We think about colors and like stuff like this. But there's actually so much light on the spectrum that our eyes can't even see. That's like invisible, like microwave. Like that's actually light. Who knew? Uh, ultraviolet rays. Like these, all these are light, but because they're a different wave frequency, your eyes can't register them. Okay? I don't know why. I think it's cool. Um, also, light is produced when energy is released. Like when energy is released, that's where light comes from, which is really just interesting. Now, this is a quick side note, and I hope this makes sense to some of you, and it might not land. Um, but it just came to my heart this morning uh, as I was just sitting with the Lord. Um, you know, I think even in San Antonio, like hanging out with and just different people and a lot of people that are, they would consider themselves not yet followers of Jesus. 
And uh, our culture is becoming very spiritual, but not kind of, I think, hesitant about Jesus and about the church. And so a language that I'll hear a lot, and it's kind of new agey, is people will use language like, man, I just drew, like something about just your energy is just like, I like it. You know what I mean? Like I'm just kind of drawn to it. Like there's this aura around you. And you know, at first I was like, that's super weird, okay? And I don't know what to do with it. But I began to think, and this is kind of given to a guy who just kind of invested and spent some time in me, and a guy that uh, Austin and Georgie and I met in, um, in Atlanta, a guy named Dave Gibbons. And he kind of framed this for me. And I heard him tell a story, and essentially I'll just kind of summarize it, was that he had this connection where somebody was like, hey, there's this, this energy, and I can't put about it. I'm just kind of drawn to you. And over the course of a few weeks, eventually got to a point where he just looked at this young woman and said, hey, do you want to know about this energy? And Lay's like, yes. Like, I need it. I want it. And he began to just unpack. He's like, like the energy that you see in me is the energy above all energy. Like, his, his name is Jesus. He is the energy that created everything that you know and see, and he lives and dwells inside of me, and that energy is available to you as well. And ended up, like, getting to introduce this young lady to Jesus through a language that she understands. And I remember thinking, like, ah, I don't know if, like, that's going to be a cop-out. Like, and then I was like, wait a second. Jesus is the energy that created all things, and nothing was created apart from him. And maybe, maybe that is... That's maybe a weird language, but, but maybe that, like, it kind of connects. So anyway, I just thought that was super interesting, that this is, Jesus is being painted as this picture of, like, hey, this cosmic energy, this source of life that illuminates everything. Like, it touches everything, gives life to everything. And I love that light, ultimately, this is kind of its purpose, life create, or light creates space, for you and I to take the next step in darkness. And some of us, when we think about Jesus' light, we think about our world currently. We think about our, like, not, not, not what we see on the news. Yes, what we see on the news. But even, like, in our homes, in our apartments, in our personal lives, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of light. And so, sure, like, Scripture says that his light's on us. And it's even, it's in, in us. But that's not what I'm feeling right now. And light creates space for you and I to take a next step in the right direction. Light creates space for you and I to discover things. I would even say this, that you can't discover things without light. Uh, We're just roaming around in the darkness. And the scripture says this, that the light entered into the darkness, but it was not overcome by the darkness. It's already defeated. Like, this is so rich and so powerful. Uh, and then, watch this. this. Once again, this rhythm is going to be picked up uh, a lot. But John 3, uh, right after the maybe the most famous verse in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, you know, uh, it says this in verse 19. Jesus, these are his words. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Verse 21, but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. 
Jesus himself is using these words about light. And then if you're like, hey, still not buying it, Jesus is like, hey, I'll, I'll make it real explicit for you. And he says this, I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. All of this, Jesus is pulling from the Torah in Genesis chapter 1, and he is revealing himself to be the God that has always been. Part B, I'll start moving faster. Uh, John's going to hit the Exodus part. So verse 14, look down here. It says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observe his glory. Glory a lot of times is another word for light. The glory is the one and the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Um, this, there's so much here. It's simply put, um, the word dwelt is uh, better, maybe better translated to as tabernacled, uh, built a tent and like set up shop. Um, once again, this is Exodus language where the people of Israel are walking through the wilderness and they would set up this giant tent, this meeting place where they would, they created a space so they could step into the presence of God and meet with him, to have him speak to them in person. Like this is wild. And so here, what, what John is saying is that Jesus is the eternal God that was before all creation and that for whatever reason, he chooses to leave his throne room to leave the majesty of heaven and, and come to earth and wrap himself in human flesh and then moves into our trailer park. And he walks on earth for 33 years, perfect, teaching us what it means to be fully alive and to be fully human. That this God is not a distant God. He's not a checked out God. He's not a far off God. No, no, he is a God that tabernacles with his people. He wants to be in the midst of his people. He wants to speak to his people so much so that he would put on flesh and move into our neighborhood. He would walk with us in the person and incarnation of Jesus. Like this is so, so good. Since the very beginning of time, God has been about creating space and creating order so that mankind can flourish and find their fullness of joy and the discovery of, be of beauty, namely the beauty of Jesus. And he put it on full display in the person of Jesus. Point two here, and the second part, is that we see that, that God sends people to help others to discover this beauty. So God's constantly putting his beauty on display. He wants you to experience that. He knows that that's the only way that you're going to experience life. It's the only thing that ultimately you be fulfilled. And so he loves you enough that he keeps putting it in, like, in your way. He keeps creating space for you to discover. Like I would even say so much so that today, that some of you, you kind of stumble in here and you ask yourself the question, what in the world am I here for? Whether this is my first time or my 10th time or I've been here since the beginning, like what am I here for? And I believe God maybe is whispering to you that today I want you to see my beauty. I want you to be invited into deeper waters. I want you to know me because I'm the only thing that will ever satisfy you. And I love you enough to pull you close and invite you into more. And then we see here that he invites us to do the same. 
So the Genesis allegory language is uh, verses 6 through 8. It says, therefore, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So I'm at John the Baptist, not John the author. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify about the light. So he's like, hey, I'm not, I'm not the light, but I came here to billboard and spotlight the light. Got it? Okay, then he's going to connect it to the Exodus part in verse 5. John Test, or 15, sorry. John testified concerning him, talking about Jesus, and exclaimed, This was the one whom I said, the one coming after me. Now, watch this, this is so cool. The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. So he's a witness, and he's saying, Hey, this Jesus, who, strange enough, is actually my younger cousin, he said, He. Uh, even though I go before him, he's way ahead of me because he existed long before the world ever existed. John spent his lifetime preparing a way and creating space so that when Jesus stepped to the plate, that people would be able to see his beauty, experience his beauty, feel invited in to his beauty. And you and I get to now partner with God in creating that same space. Whether that be at a coffee shop, like even this week, man, awesome, challenging our, our staff and our team to go, hey, in every moment that we step into like the week, every moment that we have, like whether it's a coffee shop or we're like picking up groceries, to like be praying and going, God, like what are you doing right here, right now? Like, where, where are you at work, and how can I actually step into that and come alongside of you and, and, and partner with you? You're always at work. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to head down, focused on whatever I, like, task I've got to accomplish. Like, like I want to create space for others to see your beauty. I want to create, yes, for myself, but also for others. Thinking about even my house this week of creating space for community to be, to be built. But yes, more than that, we create this space over the course of a meal so that we can discover how amazing Jesus really is. Or even, I think about this week, I know many of you. Uh, I, Tuesday, I think, is like National Night Out. I didn't even know that existed before moving to San Antonio. And, uh, but it's a great excuse to throw a really big block party, which we are in our neighborhood, and inviting neighbors. And it's not just so that we can eat funnel cakes out of food trucks. That's awesome. Um, it's creating a space for conversations and relationships ultimately, so that the beauty of Jesus would be put on display, so that people over time might get to discover and experience this beauty. Since the very beginning of time, God has created this space and he invites you and I, invited Adam and Eve into that as well to cultivate that space. So conviction, I'm not there yet, so just put it on the table. Just a conviction that I'm walking through currently right now is this. If I don't, I have to have margin in my schedule. Because if I don't have margin, it becomes impossible to create space that maybe I didn't anticipate for others to discover the beauty of Jesus. And this morning, as I was getting ready, I felt like the Lord just kind of dropped this into my heart. So if this is for anybody, you can take it. If our schedules are so jam-packed and there's no margin, it probably communicates 
that I think that I'm God and that I'm in control versus when I have margin that's saying, God, you're in control, you're God, I just want to create space for you to be discovered, not for me just to get stuff done. So, um, once again, that's free. Um, there you go. Okay, third point. Uh, we all, we all respond to God in some form, some fashion. Verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him. Now, this is crazy. He's in the world. The world was created through him and by him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but God. This is crazy. The God of the universe puts on flesh, moves into their neighborhood. The embodiment of life and light and the internal God, and they missed it full view right in front of their faces and they miss it and I think we have this tendency to be like oh 2,000 years ago what they're such idiots uh we would never like but then I begin to start thinking what if what if God were to come back in the same form, same fashion, which is, this is not, not Bible, just use your imagination, and he were to step in to this gathering today, if he were to walk around, hang out, shake some hands, strike up conversations, how many of us, even though he's right in front of us, would miss it because he's not what we expected? Our expectations for God are often built on our own desires, our own structure, and rarely maybe on actually who God is. We use language often, this is what we hear, ah, oh, man, the Jesus I serve would never. Ugh. You catch yourself doing that, what you're communicating is the, the God that I've created in my image would never ask me to do that. He would never ask you to do that. And it is a good chance that God could show up, be right in our midst, be right there at the coffee shop, right there inside of your living room, right there at that party at National Night Out. And you miss it. Because it's not what you expected. A couple, uh, I think maybe three, four years ago, at a Thanksgiving um, the family was doing this massive puzzle, and I've shared this story uh, with the people, some people in the past, but they were doing this puzzle, and I wasn't really helping out. Like, I was, like, distracted, kind of running around, and uh, they get to, like, it's, I think it's Thanksgiving morning. The puzzle is almost done, and they're kind of racing to finish it, and there's one piece that's completely missing. And so, you know, oh gosh, in-laws, like stress, like it's just everyone's like on hands and knees looking at the carpet and like they're just trying to find this one piece. It's got to be somewhere, look in the box. And then all of a sudden it shifts and it gets really, really tense and everyone starts kind of blaming each other. They're pointing fingers like, you got it. Like you hold, pull it out. Like, I mean, they're like, it is like really, really tense. And they're kind of shifting and it's moving in. The, I mean, voices are kind of getting raised. And at this point, and what I think is a stroke of brilliance, uh, I would learn different later um i reached into my pocket and i pulled out the last piece 
and snuck over. At this point, I have not done anything. I have not helped out one bit. And I walk over and I place the last piece and just kind of tap it and walked away. Um, needless to say, I'm not allowed to help with puzzles anymore. <laughs> but here, here's what I'm learning. I think many of us are like, we find ourselves with this low-grade anxiety and stress, and we're constantly moving and trying to find this missing piece, this thing that we think will somehow complete and satisfy and frustration, and we put it on other people and expectations of other people. And I think in that moment, it was like God just communicated to me personally that the peace that that they're missing, the peace that I am searching for, like I already have in my possession. Like it's right here. It's in my pocket. But how quickly and how easily we miss it. And so God has invited us into more, and he's creating space and invites us to create space. Uh, and then he ends in kind of 16 and 17 says this. Indeed, We've all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law that couldn't save, he could just point to a Savior, was given to Moses. But then Jesus, and all of his generosity, and all of his truth came, and we get invited into that. And we get invited into that. And for those of us that say yes, the scripture would say that we're adopted into the family called children of God. And this is really, really cool. I'm going to try to land here really, really fast. Um, I told you this, this whole passage, it mirrors Genesis. And there's these six movements, and, um, which also in some ways mirror the six days of creation. And then there's the seventh day. And does anybody remember what happens on the seventh day? Yeah. God rest. It's the rest and the restoration of God on day seven. John brilliantly, brilliantly is communicating that the rest of this book is what it looks like when the rest of God puts on flesh, and walks with us. Jesus' words that would mirror that, and be like, oh, all of you that are tired and weary, come to me. Draw near to me. I'll give you rest. That he is the Sabbath rest. The rest and the restoration of God is coming. Genesis 2, 1, it says it this way. It says, so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. The word is it was finished. So the heavens and the earth, God creates everything in those six days. And he says, it's finished. Now there's rest. Now there's a space for you to flourish. Now there's a space for you to enjoy the beauty of who God is. Now this is wild and extremely on purpose. In John 19, verse 30, Jesus' final words as he's on the cross mirror Genesis 2, 1. And he says this. It is finished. It is finished. And in this moment, 
the tabernacle, the temple. The curtain is completely torn. The, 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 essentially, if you want to look at it, the gate that, pre- that prevented us from stepping into the space that was created where the beauty of God dwelled. So what Jesus is saying is, is hey, listen, my, my work on the cross, it, it's finished, it's complete, it's now available to all of us. All of my beauty, fully on display, fully available to you. He's inviting us in, the veil torn, communicating to you and I that that space is now open. That the sacrifice, it's good. The check cleared. And we are invited into that space to experience all that he is. It's been made accessible to you and I. God created space at the beginning and he is creating space again so that we can discover and experience and enjoy the beauty of Jesus. So, this morning, just as a part of our rhythm, I want to give you space for you to just sit 120 seconds and for you to ask these two questions, like to really like ponder them, dig deep. I believe this may be the most important part of this, this time is going, hey, God, what are you saying to me today? Based on John 1, based upon what was shared, what, what's he inviting you into? What is he, what is he speaking to you today? And then the second part of that question where we often, we, we don't go, well, what are you going to do about that? If God is speaking to you, if he's inviting you into something, then how do you get to live this week? So you take 120 seconds and just sit with Jesus. God, what are you saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.